what's happening everybody and welcome back to another episode of rapping with Refum. i'm your host keith Urkelhammer. so on today's live stream i welcome leo brayan from leonardo's reef what's happening there leo thanks keith for having me um yeah I'm, I'm doing fine how are you good so so leo is in the netherlands and right now it is one o'clock in the a.m. in the Netherlands, Correct. so uh, he's, uh, Leo has, has told me that he is a uh, more of a late night person than than uh, than a morning person, I guess. So we'll uh, we'll keep cranking, Leo, I guess, until you you uh, you start losing some steam there. But uh, I appreciate you, yeah. you uh, staying up late to join us tonight. Well, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, so Leo's been around for a while. You know, I think back in the Reef Central days, you were pretty well known with uh, Leonardo's Reef. Um, but just in, in terms of specifics, Leonardo's Reef, it's an aquaculture facility and a laboratory that's based in the Netherlands. And they provide sustainable aquaculture corals throughout Europe and perform research on coral spawning, which we can certainly talk about. Um, so before we do start chatting with Leo, I want to thank the sponsors for the program, both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. I really appreciate these companies supporting the live stream, and I appreciate all you folks out there tuning in to view the live stream. Make sure you hit that like button and subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. And as usual, I encourage everybody to drop your questions in the chat and any comments would be welcome as, as well. So um, I'm, I'm seeing I'm getting a little bit of a uh, warning from YouTube. If anybody is seeing any issues with the uh, stream, just uh, let me know in the chat in terms of any audio and video uh, issues. This is pretty rare for me to uh, see this uh, warning message. You never know what's going to happen there, Leo, with the, uh, with the Internet and yeah. the kind of hiccups <laughs> along the way. But it, it looks good to me, despite right. the, uh, the warning I'm getting from youtube so leo man, i mentioned you've been a you've been a reef keeper for a long time a well-known reef keeper you know i mentioned back in the reef central days your uh your, your tank was uh one of the most uh, iconic i think well-known tanks around what um so when did you actually get started into reef keeping what's your journey been like well i started uh having aquariums when i was five uh but obviously that was just fresh water um, my first reef tank, um, I started when I was 16, so that's almost, that's 24 years ago now. And, um, yeah, I was still in high school, living at home, um, but I, I basically did everything that was possible with freshwater. In the end, I got like seven different tanks, seven different biotopes all in my little bedroom and i thought okay what is what is the next step what is the the one biotope that i i didn't uh, try out yet and that was uh, like the marine biotope so that's how i started reef keeping um very very primitively if i look back at it now a lot of leather corals um the big thick fluorescent tubes um and um uh yeah, it was even a time before any stream wave pumps. It was just the old block uh, um, pumps we used for flow. A small skimmer with a wooden air stone inside. And, um, and it was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, I, I, with, with a few short breaks, I, I, I never really stopped reef keeping uh, ever since. 
Yeah, you know, it's um, it's it's a great hobby. You mentioned breaks. You know, I've, I've taken a couple of breaks myself. It's kind of like hard, though. You, after you take those breaks, you're just kind of itching to get back into it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, of course, you know, going from high school to university and studying, uh, moving out of my parents' house, um, those moments, uh, sometimes a reef tank is just too much. Um, but I, I never stop more than... I think two years, yeah. uh, because it, you know, it was just such a big part of my life. Um, so I, I, I couldn't stop for more than just a short while. Yeah. Now it's, um, it's something that's in, in, uh, in the blood. It's, it seems like, so it's, it's kind of tough to, uh, to shake the, uh, the hobby for sure. Um, so any, anybody that was influential, you know, to you when you were kind of getting into the reef keeping and somebody that was more of like a mentor or somebody that you just followed their methods in terms of keeping reef tanks? Um, yeah. Um, the hobby in, in the Netherlands where I live was kind of small, mm. uh, especially I was uh, at a very early point already looking into um, the Acropora and the, the stony corals. And there wasn't a lot of literature or, or a lot of people that were actually doing that over here. So um, I was pretty hooked to uh, Reef Central in particular, but also some other um, boards. And basically all my information I, I got out of those, um, um, yeah, th those online forums. Um, very influential to me at an early stage were, was the whole uh, bare bottom movement. Mm. Uh, so keeping the tanks very clean, very sterile, a lot of flow, not a lot of rock, no sand bed. Um, I really liked that philosophy uh, from a very early point, um, especially because it was very compatible to keeping Acropora, um, especially how we thought about keeping Acropora back then, everything very clean and very low nutrient. There was the philosophy back then, so um, I, I I don't can I cannot remember any forum names anymore. But that that whole group that that was around the bare bottom tanks was really influential when I just started. Um, but I think er everyone that was part of the the forum back in the days um, probably was very influential to me because because I, I was there every day uh, for yeah four or five six hours just reading 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 and asking questions and uh, also sharing my own tanks obviously um so it was a very very nice time and 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 i was i think i was very lucky to start to to have started um in that period because right now it's i think it's much harder to get good information and people mm -hmm. that really take the time to explain something uh in more than two sentences with all the social media going on. So I think it was a great time for me to start and having, you know, very deep discussions with people about certain topics um, all on the on the forums. So how did you get into creating the company, uh, Leonardo's Reef? Was, uh, was that um, something that you were doing part-time for a while? I mean, basically it was like you turned your hobby into a job. Yeah. Um, I started the company in 2009, so it's quite a while ago already, but I, I, it started as something totally different. Uh, it, it, yeah, happens more, but um, I was working in a small uh, local fish store back then, and um, they had some customers that needed regular maintenance, uh, 
and uh, I started to do the maintenance for the customers of those uh, of that local fish store. And yeah, at some point it grew into a little bit more customers, and I thought, okay, maybe it's a smart you know a smart idea to um, to to start a small business um, so I can you know uh, put my expenses over there and and have my income there. Um, yeah, so that, that it started as a, some sort of aquarium maintenance company, mm. and I, I was really thinking about building it out to a, to a bigger one over time. Uh, but at some point, I, I was just tired of cleaning tanks uh, <laughs> <laughs> all the time, and I did it next to my my study back then. So it wasn't a very it wasn't really a full time job. But I thought, okay, this is this is not what I want want to do the rest of my life. Um, and at home, I already fragged corals and sometimes sold or traded some corals. And for those maintenance uh, customers, I I actually starting started to um, you know breed some corals to put in the tanks at their house, because sometimes they restarted or they started yeah. over. Or I helped customers starting up, and actually filling the tanks with the corals that I grew at home. Um, yeah, and slowly that 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 became bigger and bigger and bigger. And about five years ago, I I made the step to really renting a, renting a dedicated space outside of my home to really start propagating Ecropora on a bigger scale. And at that, that point, I also started working less. Um, uh, first, I started working one day less, and gradually that became a little bit more. Um, and I. Uh, currently only work for two days um, as a teacher at the university in um, close to my hometown. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So it's, it's almost a full-time job now. Um, very gradually it grew, you know, uh, towards this. Um, yeah. So it has been a, a quite a long journey. Yeah. So <laughs> talk to us about the reef keeping scene in the Netherlands. You mentioned that it's a, um, well, maybe we were talking before the yesterday. I can't remember if you mentioned it was a, um, you know, on the, on the live whether or not it was a, um, you know, it's a small market. Yeah. I think you were talking before. Go ahead, tell me what you were saying. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, tell us what you were saying to me before in terms of the Netherlands. Yeah, the Netherlands is is a is a, a small country. Um, I think right now it's 16, 17 million people, um, and um, yeah, obviously there are not a lot of reef keepers um, in this already small country. Um, but luckily we are, you know, uh, we, we are part of the European Union, so um, we also have stores in Belgium or Germany uh, that we can go to. It's not too far of a drive. Um, so the community is a little bit bigger than uh, only limited to the Netherlands. Um, but if you look at how many people keep reef aquariums and um, how much of those people keep uh, Acropora, you yeah you have a very small uh, group but a very passionate group of people uh, that really try to keep and yeah in many cases also propagate uh, ecobor corals and um, yeah it's it's a pretty pretty small community a lot of people know each other through the stores or or fora or uh, shows we have a show coming up next week um, in Vivarium it's called. And a lot of people are also meeting there, and um, all the stores are represented there. So that that are 
like those occasions that you you meet meet each other in person. So you you don't you don't have a brick and mortar store to to per, per se where people can walk into and buy stuff, or can they like make appointments and stuff? I mean, it sounds like most of your business is shipping to the um, other parts of Europe. Yeah, we we prefer to ship um, um, and and sell everything online. Uh, but in some cases, people really try to um, or really want to come over to pick the corals, uh, pick up the corals themselves. So that's always a possibility, um, but we don't have any opening hours, so they have to make an appointment. Yeah. Um, yeah. We we also don't really have the ambition to to really um, having more of a store function because then you um, you're always limited in um, your freedom when you can go there and when you can leave, and it's also quite a nice part of um, yeah uh, having this business. Uh, that you're very flexible. Um, also with the, the situation at home with my wife and kid, it's very nice that I can be flexible and sometimes go in the morning to do the maintenance and sometimes go in the afternoon or or evening. Um, and I would, would like to keep it like that. Yeah, yeah. I hear you, man. I can relate. I, uh, I'm the same way. I'm pretty much just, just ship. Rarely do I have anybody come over but of course i live in the middle of nowhere so it's kind of hard for people to find me <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I, if someone comes over uh, uh sometimes i i do really enjoy it because it's also very nice to show people around and sometimes just you know look at all the corals and really nerd out about that that one small species that that you acquired uh, a while ago and and just uh you know have a coffee and just uh, talk about uh, corals uh, for a couple of hours so i do really enjoy it uh, that people come over from time to time for sure. All yeah. right. So, so Leo, um, provided a nice video as well as a whole bunch of pictures. And we're going to start going through that stuff. I just want to, um, touch on a couple of comments in the chat here. Recite Sonny, what's going on there, Sonny? Uh, comments for hey, Sonny. the, uh, Formosa <laughs> forest is a classic aquarium in this hobby. One of my favorites. Let's, let's show the, uh, Formosa forest here. So, um, yeah. That's the first Formosa forest. Um, was I think it's a tank that I started up in two thousand seven. Is this the uh, the Apagon Reef? No, it's uh, just the Formosa forest. For okay, I got it. It's Formosa forest. Yes, okay. it's. Uh, so I'm clicking through some of these uh, pictures of the Formosa forest yeah. here. It's Formosa forest front and side. There are two photos uh, that I added. Yep. Yeah, it's a. I, I don't the ex I don't know the exact date anymore that that I started up the tank, but but it's really according that bare bottom philosophy. So there's one small live rock in the middle, and um, no sand bed uh, at all. And on that small live rock in the middle, I I uh, basically uh, uh, yeah I basically uh, glued a lot of uh, staghorn acropora, and they grew out into into a staghorn forest or a formosa forest and i added a lot of um the cardinal uh, the small cardinal fish that were hovering in these uh, in these branches um, yeah, what the and i think it's still it's still my it's it, it was my really my first full-blown aquapora tank and it, it's still my favorite tank. This, this is the uh the, the tank that was just so well known on reef central i think everybody you know like like uh sonny said everybody knew the uh for most of forest and and yeah i i dig staghorns you know and and um i don't know today it doesn't seem like people are really into staghorns for some reason no 
No, it's a shame. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we have to change that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. What? And go it, ahead. Yeah, if you look at the the Formosa forest right now, you think, okay, it's just another, you know, it's an it's a nice tank, it's a cube tank, it's a rimless tank. But back in the days, first of all, cube tanks were um, quite a rarity. Still, I had this tank custom built, uh, but not a lot of people had a cube tank. And second of all. Um, the rimless tank, so the tanks without a euro bracing on top, was also not very common. So I was really with a with a group of uh, other hobbyists, really on the forefront of that really clean, uh, almost you know uh, uh, floating cube of water look, um, while uh, still a lot of people had those very heavy oak or wooden cabinets, uh, totally closed up aquariums or building aquariums. Um, so it, it was a really modern, different way of keeping keeping reefs. Um, and I think that's why it also became so popular. Yeah. Um, so a, a, um, a random question from Bert Minshew. Uh, Leo, in your experience, what brings out the fluorescent pinks more like in the Jason Fox homewrecker that tries to be green? Um, I pose this question to Jason Fox also. Higher par seems to possibly be a factor. What do you think in terms of bringing out the pinks more in corals like a home wrecker? Yeah, that, that's the million dollar question, right? Uh, how, how to bring out the pinks in the, in the tenuous. Um, I'm always a firm believer in, in, in the full spectrum light, uh, which means uh, not only blue or, or very heavy blue, um, but also running uh, a lot of more whites uh, and, and full spectrum light, uh, especially in T5s and halides. Uh, but now I sound, sound very old school, old school I think. <laughs> uh, but I think those, those are very important for at least some pigments to really you know, come out in, in certain corals. So uh, I would always suggest, always suggest to run at least a couple of hours of white or full spectrum light every day. Yeah, and uh, and other than that, I think your parameters and and trace elements and 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 everything else also have to be in check. Obviously, otherwise that that full spectrum is not going to change uh, anything. And yeah. and we'll uh, we'll dig a little bit more into how you uh, like to keep your tanks in terms of um, you know trace elements and supplements and and all that stuff and equipment. Let's um, let's take a look at you did a um, a little tour of your facility. Yeah. So you uh, you put together a video for us on that. Let's take a look at that. It's about what three minutes long or something. Yeah, about, about three, three minutes, minutes yeah. long. Yeah. And we'll take a look at that. You narrate it in the video, yeah. and then we'll come back and we'll kind of like dig into the uh, to the system. So let's um, let's do that. Cool. All right, we'll be roll the tape. Hi everyone. In this video, I will give you a quick tour of our Acropora coral farm based in the Netherlands in Europe. First, some numbers. We have 2,200 gallons of systems in total, 1,400 gallons on the ground floor, and 800 gallons on the first floor. The two tanks that I just showed you are tank number one and two, which are connected together into one system. Tank number one that you see right now contains mostly frags coming from our mother colonies. Um, we have quite a lot of frags at the same moment because we let them grow for three to four months before we sell them. This is tank number two, which need to be converted into a frag tank. 
but right now it still contains a lot of mother colonies. Um, as you can see, the mother colonies became quite big over time, and sometimes they're shading or even touching each other. And obviously we were trying to prevent that. So on the first floor, we build, build a dedicated system for our mother colonies. So all the colonies that you see right here needs to be eventually moved upstairs to the new system. At the same time, after moving those big mother colonies, downstairs we have more room for uh, growing out frags. So yeah, it gives us a lot more opportunity to offer more variety in frags, um, more frags at the same time, because as you may know, Agropora grows relatively slow. So we cannot offer too many frags every week because it's limited by the growth. But the more surface area we have, the more frags we can actually grow. Then one of the most important things, uh, quarantine. We have two different quarantine systems, quarantine number one and two, which are totally separated from each other. Every new acquired coral will go into quarantine for at least three months and will get a treatment every week. In between those treatments, we can switch quarantine systems, which gives us the opportunity to disinfect and clean out the other one. So a coral that's treated will never get reinfected by something that's still in the quarantine tank. Then last but not least, system number three, which originally was meant to be a display tank, but in the end became another tank for our mother colonies because we were basically running out of space. As you can see, there are a lot of staghorns in here, just because we really love staghorns. We don't sell them that much actually, but we love them so much that we wanted to keep them somewhere in the farm. All right, then let's move upstairs to the first floor to our new systems, totally dedicated to our mother colonies, also known as the mothership. The system has four tanks, all connected to one sump, 800 gallons in total, and has been only running for a couple of months now. But the whole process of moving the colonies from downstairs to upstairs has been pretty smooth, actually. Um, it's now about 75% full, so we have a little bit of room left to move uh, the last colonies from downstairs to this new system, where they have a lot of light room and float to grow, hopefully even better. Um, well, this is the end of the short tour. Um, hope you enjoyed it. See you later. And we are back. Apologize. I think the uh, the video was kind of um, a little choppy there. It's the um, the uh, whatever's going on the live stream is kind of messing around with the uh, with the video playback there. But hopefully, we'll uh, we'll be cool. I think it's because Leo, you sent me so many pictures that I've got. <laughs> that we got to go <laughs> yeah, through maybe. all these pictures here. Then maybe that's yeah part of what's going on here with the uh the the technical stuff but dude man that was just amazing simply amazing in terms of what you've got going on there with acropora it's it's obviously uh i don't think i saw any lps in there did i no there, there are a few uh lost lps somewhere in the back or on the bottom but but not a lot i think it's less than one percent yeah less than one percent <laughs> wow. Yeah. It, um, so I saw like, uh, talk to us about the types of, uh, acros you got in there. I saw a bunch of millipora, um, 
you know, obviously, uh, I think I saw some, not a lot of stags in there, right? Your customers are just not, uh, that's not a high demand item, huh? Yeah, I have to, you know, have a, I have to keep a balance between the most demanded corals that, that are just best sellers and, and the stuff that I just really like myself. Um, but I cannot fill, fill everything up with all the stuff that I like myself because then I won't sell anything anymore <laughs> because my favorite, my favorite corals are, are still staghorns and in every different possible, um, shape and, uh, color and variety. Um, but I decided to, um, dedicate one system, a system number three to my staghorn corals and, um, uh, really give them room to grow, uh, in there. Um, but over time that tank also became a holding tank for other colonies and, and it, it overgrew, overgrew basically everything. Um, but, uh, that tank really contains most of my staghorns. Um, I really like to, to also to acquire staghorns from, um, other parts of the world than only Indonesia, because typically you see those mariculture staghorns from Indo coming in, but I, I like to collect. Uh, staghorns from Australia, for instance, which are uh, coming from um, the wild, wild reefs, uh, as you know, um, because those are, are very, very different than what you typically see uh, in the hobby. Uh, and, and they're not picked up by many people normally. So sometimes you have very unique species in between them. Um, but I do have a lot of tenuous millipora shortcakes um for sure because I, I love them as well because they they have such bold and bright colors they grow quite quickly as well and they're very demanded by by my customers yeah let's um let's go through some of these uh, specific corals here we're, and i'm gonna just kind of read out a number here so we were talking about yeah. this before in terms of trying to do the best uh, way to try to identify each one of these so acro 4712 that's um that's a pretty sweet Looking acro, it kind of looks like the um, yeah. Uh, can't I'm at, on the top of my head, but you, the gold golden jaw dropper. Yeah, okay. Golden jaw so dropper. We were also talking before the show, like in in Europe, really, there's not much of a name game, right? You're um, you're more into using the scientific names and and not uh, getting into this whole marketing craze mm -hmm. stuff, right? Yeah, th there there is definitely a name game going on. Um, especially copying the names from the, the U.S. Uh, strains. Um, in some cases, even claiming that it is the original U.S. strain, mm. which could be possible, but then the source could be in a gray area. It's probably not very legal. But I think in many cases, it's just not the same strain. Um, so what we try, try to do is always, um, always give the, the coral the scientific name mm -hmm. or try to ID it as as, as good as we can and uh, next to that give it our own um, fancy fancy coral name just to make communication with the customers more easy because we have for instance five or six different pink millipora which are tiny you know tiny varieties in between um, and instead of uh, talking about that pink millipora that pink millipora it's easier to give them a fancy name so it's uh, it's much more uh, easy to to talk to your customers about yeah. it. Yeah. So that's that's what we try to do. So all right, four seven one two is which one again? I 
think it's mostly uh, similar with the golden jaw dropper, golden uh, jaw dropper. Okay. In, in the US. Yes, yes. Scientific name, I uh, I actually don't know. <laughs> so if someone knows, please mention it in the chat. Uh, but I, I never I never could ID this uh, this coral um, um, positively. No. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Um, yeah, yellow coralites and uh, kind of like those uh, rose-colored um, polyps. Man, that's quite the combination. Oh, sorry. Oh, we're talking about a different coral. Oh. <laughs> see, see. <laughs> now I see it in the live stream. This is uh, this is called the sorry. This is called the bumblebee. The the yellow with the with the red polyps. Uh, the bumblebee. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, bumblebee. Yeah. Um, yeah. Could be could be um, Indo microclados, uh, Indo shortcake, yeah. but I'm I'm not very sure. But this is, I think, one of the yeah one of the best corals that we have actually. Yeah, you sent me a whole bunch of pictures, and I picked out like uh, eleven of them, and, and uh, I was kind of right. like drooling over every one of them. I couldn't. I, I yeah. didn't have the time to pull <laughs> all of them together. What about four seven zero three? Four seven zero three. Let me. Let me get the right one. Yeah, this is um, a confetti type mm -hmm. uh, coral. Uh, could be just a confetti acropora or um, some. Some in the U.S. have the grape ape coral. Could be similar. We just call it the, our confetti because, for obvious reasons, the polyps are very, very long and wavy. Uh, has a green base, um, blue tips with sometimes a little bit of purple or lila inside. Um, yeah, just a very fast-growing coral. Um, under blues, the, the 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 green polyps really stand out. So it's it's a very uh, a very beautiful coral to to have in your tank. Yeah, for no, sure. It's gorgeous. Well, so uh, talk to us about lighting in in your uh, systems and and uh, you know what what are your uh, what, what's what kind of equipment are you using to um, you know to run these tanks? Yeah, we use um, a combination of LEDs and, and T5s for basically every tank. We have some experimental tanks uh, with only uh, only LEDs right now, but that's purely for our own experimentation. But all the growing tanks and also the, the display tank, which is for growing out the mothers at the moment, um, has a ATI hybrid fixture. Mm. Um, uh, which is a combination of LEDs and, and T5s. And upstairs in the, the, new, uh, the new room, the new facility, we have a combination of the ATI sun power fixtures with uh, the Orfec uh, LED bars. So it's, again, um, some sort of a DIY hybrid uh, solution. And the bulbs that we run in the T5 units are, in most cases, a combination of the Blue Plus and the Coral Plus bulbs. But in some cases, we even use the Aqua Blue Special Bulbs, which is a very white, even yellowish bulb, which has a very full spectrum and, and I think very important for coral growth and also bringing out some of the coloration. So Bert has got another question. Tyree Red Dragon, smooth skin, deep water acro. Almost everyone has theirs die as they get bigger, me included. I believe it's too high of par. Mm. What are your thoughts on this? Well, it could be, it, it's definitely a coral that, that should be kept at a little bit lower par, especially under LEDs, um, LEDs only. Um, but I think flow could be the, the major issue 
for bigger colonies. And to really get flow in the middle of bigger colonies, we always try to have a very active wave function or wave uh, motion in the tanks. So uh, the whole water volume is basically um, moved around all the time, um, which also means the water in those colonies, in between those branches, moves all the time. Um, and it's much easier to um, get water to move inside a colony by a big wave uh, compared to a, a stream of water blowing onto the co uh, colony. Um, so it could be a combination of um, flow, lack of flow, but also maybe too much light. Um, when you give a coral a lot of light, they're also a little bit on the edge of bleaching in some cases, especially when they don't like a lot of light. So if um, some parameter or you have an alkalinity swing and they already are a little bit light stressed, they can um, STN pretty quickly in my experience. Michael, sure. Hey, what's happening there, Mike? Um, question to you, Leo. Are you running Tropic Marin system based on the nitrobiotics uh, bacteria? Um, no, we try to keep things as simple as possible. Um, <clears throat> so we use a lot of Tropic Marin products. Um, the Pro Reef Salt, the full bulling system, so uh, the A, B, and C solution. And the C solution is the sodium uh, chloride-free salt which um, 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 maintains the ionic balance for part A and B. And we use the, the mix, the blend of trace elements, the K plus and A min trace elements, uh, also from Tropic Marin. And that's, that's it basically. So we don't add any bacteria, we don't add any amino acids, um, and we don't add any extra nutrients in the form of uh, phosphates or or nitrates. No coral food, nothing. You're just um... sometimes we we um, we add a little bit of easy reefs. Easy reefs has those big, yeah, IV bags of of, of oily oily food. They make it in, in smaller smaller quantities, but we have the big uh, professional uh, uh, quantity uh, bags, and we mix it in with our uh, fish food every day. Uh, we do feed a lot of variety in our uh, in our fish food, which also indirectly feed the corals, obviously. But um, every day we feed mices, artemia, but also lobster eggs, fish <clears throat> eggs, uh, small red plankton, uh, green plankton. So we mix in seven or eight different kinds of frozen foods, which basically feed the whole tank as, as a whole and not only feeding pellets to the fish. We don't feed a lot of uh, dry food, actually. Um, so I think indirectly, we also feed the corals a lot, but it's all in the, in the form of frozen foods. So, yeah, it, it does sound like a pretty simple uh, system. So in, in terms of calcium and alkalinity additions, you're just doing the, that, that three-part type of, um, you know, yeah. from Tropic. Yeah. Okay. And um, UV sterilized. And, okay. and we Go have, ahead. sorry, we have cal calcwasser as well. You're using calcwasser as well. Yeah. What, so what yeah. uh, key yeah. parameters? For, for everybody out there it's wondering what are your key parameters at parameters are, are very close to um, the tropic marine salt because we do um, 10 to 15 percent water changes every week and we don't want to have too much of a swing so we keep uh, calcium around 420 430 alkalinity around seven and a half uh, nitrates are quite low 
in our case, below 1, uh, phosphate 0 0.05, uh, potassium 420, strontium around 6 to 8. Um, yeah, I think then you have the, the, the most important parameter. So it's pretty, pretty, pretty basic, actually. Not, not a lot of weird numbers. So you mentioned you've got some low nutrients. I guess nitrate is, uh, is pretty low and yeah. phosphate seems like it's right in where you want it to be. How, how, do, you, um, yeah. how do you manage those nitrates or um, how, how do you manage a nutrient to, you know, control there? Well, we, we don't manage, the corals manage it. You're using me, the corals uh, to uh, do the <laughs> legwork on that stuff, huh? Yeah. We, we experimented, experimented a while with um, trying to maintain a certain level of nitrates and phosphates because um, when you read about the ratios of phosphates and nitrate, mm. uh, our nitrates is, is much, yeah, much, much, much too low uh, for the ideal uh, value and the, the ratio between phosphate and nitrate. So we experimented with adding nitrates for a while. Um, but actually, our coral growth uh, declined. So the, the uptake of alkalinity and calcium um, yeah, dropped. And also, our colors um, didn't improve. They actually uh, they, they became a little bit worse. So we just stopped with adding any phosphates, nitrates. And just um, we're feeding the tank a lot. We're feeding the fish a lot. And we just you know uh, let everything run its course. Of course, we we are uh, we are aware that we don't we we cannot bottom out the the, the 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 nutrients too much. So the phosphate levels need to be around 0 0.04 to 0 0.08 in our case. But the nitrates we let we just let let them do their thing and and not really uh, measure them uh, actually. So we only check nitrates once a month when we receive the ICP test. And other than that, we, we don't really check for nitrates anymore. And, and in terms of trace elements, so you're doing ICP testing. Are you, uh, you're, are you making adjustments based on those ICPs uh, in terms of trace element dosing? No, no, we don't. Um, what we do is, um, because we have two, two blends, um, basically, of trace elements. So if um, most of the trace elements are on the low side, we just increase those blends. But we don't dose any individual uh, trace elements. Um, first of all, for the reason that I think once a an ICP once a month is is not enough to really start uh, adjusting trace elements on. Uh, I think it's too risky. I think if you're doing that, you should send in an ICP probably every week. Um, other than that, some trace elements can be uh toxic or not useful if you dose them individually uh so we we think it's a little bit dangerous to to experiment experiment with that um so we we just dose them in the blend uh they're in uh the blend has a certain ratio that is there's some some science behind it um so the uptake should be you know roughly the same ratio um, yeah, so so we we keep it like, like that. Some sometimes we get an ICP back, and um, some trace elements are actually zero and unmeasurable. But we we're not too worried about it because we know we edit at least a little bit every day, in the right ratio, at least in a ratio that's claimed to be the right one. Um, and everything's working out, so we're not going to change what, anything. Uh, what trace elements that come back at zero that you're not too concerned about? 
Um, I only worry about low iodine. So if iodine is low, we add a little bit extra. Other than that, we don't worry about any trace elements being very low, actually. What do you, uh, what no. do you guys uh, use for uh, ICP testing? Uh, right now, I use the ATI testing just because the interface is very easy. Um, the tests are not too expensive because we, we have to send in like four or five tests every month. Um, but I also like the Fauna Marin tests. They're very, um, they're very detailed. They're actually, I think, a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but, um, we just, you know, we, we started with ATI at some point and we're, we're just sticking to it for now. But if I would make the switch, it would probably be for, uh, for the Fauna Marin, uh, tests. Yeah. Yeah. They do have a lot of information that, uh, you can really yeah. kind of dig into. And I like their, uh, their forecasts and, um, you know, yeah. there's, I've had Claude on a couple of times. So it's, uh, there's, he's, they, they definitely have a science behind it in terms of, different uh, ratios of certain elements to other elements. So it's um, definitely a lot of utility in those reports. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, another question about your lighting backwoods reefer. What does your lighting schedule look like? How long do you run your T5s and LEDs? Yeah, so the, the LEDs are on for, I think in total, um, 14 hours. But you have to keep in mind those LEDs are basically um, some additional lighting. They don't do a lot for lighting the corals. The T5s do most of the heavy work. And the T5s are on for 10 hours, 10 hours a day. Yeah. Any, any thought about going all LED or are you just um, really digging those T5s and want to just keep on, keep on trucking with a T5? I used to be the same way with middle halide lighting and... And uh, yeah. I've, I've seen the uh, part in the pun, seen the light in terms of the LEDs and and what have you, and 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 love the results I've been getting. But um, yeah, I mean, are you worried at all down the line in terms of the T5 technology potentially getting phased out of the hobby? Well, I know for sure they're going to be phased out in Europe uh, within a couple of years. I think 2028 mm. is the the last uh, date somewhere. In summer 2028. So you got to have a they, plan in place then, huh? Yeah, I already made plans. So. <laughs> Are you just hoarding all those uh, T5 bulbs? Is that what you're doing? I know a lot of people doing yeah, that here. Middle A-lines. Pretty much, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. About LEDs. I, I'm, I'm like, I, like I mentioned before, I, I run a couple of tests with different brands of LEDs. Um, I'm still not convinced. I, I think... Obviously, you see it online a lot. You you can keep uh, Acropora, you can grow Acropora and color up Acropora with LEDs for sure. But if you look at the the surface area that we have right now, if if I have to stick that stick that full of LEDs, it, it will cost me around fifty sixty thousand dollars to to yeah. to really getting the same level of coverage as I have right now and. I have to do it very gradually <laughs> <laughs> if I would like that. But, but you know, um, yeah, it, it probably works, but the investment is so high that, that for now we'll stick to T5s as long as I can. And when I really have to, I will gradually um, make the change to LEDs probably. Yeah. So is that the plan by 2028 is all LEDs? Well, probably sooner. So, but, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And I think, you know, LED technology also improves every yeah. year right now. It's it's basically the same as phones and, and, and computers uh, were for a long time. So I think if I wait for a couple of years more, the technology yeah. will also be better. The lenses will be better. The coverage will be better. Yeah. So it, it doesn't hurt to wait for a couple of more years, yep. I think. Uh, Woody's Gamertag, thank you very much for that super chat. The uh, the question says for both of you, when you place an Acropore and you think the light flow should be good, but it's not happy, how long do you give it before moving it? And, and um, the follow-up comment is not happy means minimal polyp extension. Um, that's a different, difficult question. Um, when the coral's not happy, and, and I suspect it's the flow or the lighting, I would move it immediately. But it means I have to rule out other options or other possibilities of the un unhappiness uh, first. But if all the corals around that uh, are very happy, but that coral is not, I would definitely move it. But I would also first check for pests, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. I, I, have, a, I, I have a similar um, you know, answer to yours there, Leo. I think they, um, you know, if you put something in a coral in terms of placing it in the tank and it's, and it's not, uh, you're not getting that polyp extension, it just doesn't seem to be right, then yeah, something is, is wrong. And, and I think the first thing I would check for is, um, is pests, but, you know, or, or other corals in the tank kind of exhibiting similar signs of um, unhappiness. Uh, speaking of pests, you um, you 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 showed in your uh, video quarantine one, quarantine two. What do you what do you guys do in terms of quarantining your corals? What's the whole process? Yeah, well, first of all, I have to say we don't do a lot of imports. Um, most of our stuff, uh, of course, is is growing in in our tanks for a long time already. But if we acquire some new species, we we sometimes we handpick some new corals at at the wholesale. Uh, we put it into quarantine for at least six to eight weeks. Um, and we set up two different quarantines because um, when you treat, we treat the corals weekly by um, external dip. So take them out of the quarantine tank, dip them, leave them in the dip for a while. If you put them back in the same quarantine tank, you can basically reinfect the coral with whatever is or was in that tank or on the surfaces of that tank. So what we do is take out the coral, uh, give them a treatment, and put them in a different quarantine tank. What, uh, what, what, what treatment do you use? What dips do you guys use? Uh, we use the commercial dips, or so the Coral RX. Uh, we use the potassium dips. Um, that's basically it. Um, so it's a very, very basic dip, basic, basic dips. We do also do a lot of um, visual inspection. We have some microscopes, uh, some mesoscopes, which can enlarge uh, everything around 30 times. It's like a very fancy, um, yeah, it's not really a microscope, but you can just look up, look up close. Um, so visual inspection is very important. Mm -hmm. You can check for bugs, check for eggs, check for flatworms. And after eight weeks of dipping and visually inspecting them and, and having them in those quarantine tanks, uh, we're, we're basically sure they're, they're all clean and, and, and free of pests. Then they will move into our system number three, which is also separated from the rest. Um, and system number three obviously contain uh, acropora corals, but they're not yet in our tanks with all the frags and mother colonies. So if the coral is doing well for a couple of months in that uh, smaller acropora system, 
we feel safe enough to really move it to our uh, to our uh, to our other stock. And obviously, because we uh, moved all the mother colonies to the first floor now, we have an extra barrier built in because we don't want to add. After we moved all the colonies from downstairs to upstairs, we don't want to add any corals to the upstairs uh, tanks anymore. So that that's going to be basically a closed door. Nothing comes in uh, anymore, and 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 we have different tools, different hoses. Everything is different than the stuff that we use downstairs. So um, upstairs is 100% pest-free, and it will be pest-free forever. That's the that's the philosophy. Well, that's the way to do it, you know, is to have multiple levels of um, yeah. you know, quarantine to to make sure that they can kind of um, you know, the corals can make it through. How how resilient are the uh, are the corals with the constant dipping? Uh, it's pretty tough. Yeah. Um, most corals do do pretty fine, but especially the deep water corals or the very fine branch corals are uh, are having a harder time. Although I have to say the dips that we use are not the most harsh uh, dips that are out there. I think the the um, Dettol or the 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 more um, the Melafix dips, but also the iodine-based dips are much more uh, harsh, especially for that type of corals. So most corals will survive, and and some won't. But that's you know that's um, that's part of part of the part of the deal basically. Yeah. Uh, what we do is um, keep the nutrient levels in the quarantine tanks a little bit higher so we don't skim anything. Um, so they can build a little bit more tissue and it, they become a little bit darker. And the light above the quarantine tanks is also quite dim. So uh, when the corals leave the quarantine tanks, they're pretty much brown, uh, which is better than white. But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They, they definitely have to color up after that, but um, we give them a little bit of a calm environment uh, to, to, really, um, to really settle down from the dipping uh, all the time. Um, yeah. I meant to ask you before, UV sterilizers, do you guys use them 24-7 or maybe just in the quarantine uh, systems? Yeah, we use uh, UV sterilizers in the quarantines, but also in all the, all the grow-out and mother colony tanks. Um, uh, not a lot of UV. Uh, I think we have um, we have a, different units connected to each other. We have one system with three 55 watt um, uh, units, and upstairs we only run 55 watts of UV. But we also run uh, ozone on both uh, systems. So the big system downstairs, big system upstairs. So not the quarantine tanks also run ozone. So we combine ozone and UV together. So what's what's the reason why you guys are running UV? I mean, I know ozone in terms of water clarity that you're going to get crystal clear water using uh, using uh, ozone. What what's the rationale for using UV twenty four seven? Well, not really for fish diseases because right. we we do have a lot of fish, but yeah, we we. We don't encounter a lot of. Uh, also, we don't have a lot of fish that really, you know, really susceptible for for fish diseases. But our philosophy is that uh, with such a high volume of coral compared to the total volume of water, there there are probably a lot of chemicals in the water that, you know, that um, some sort of warfare chemicals that that corals use to fight off each other. 
but also um, bacteria that are waterborne um, or maybe a, a coral that's dying and, and releases tissue, maybe in some cases. We just want the water to be as sterile as, as possible. Um, so um, if there's any disease, any coral disease or any microbial or bacterial disease, it cannot really spread through the whole system. It's a, it's a little bit of a guess. I, I think it's just a nice feeling, you know, to, to run UV. It doesn't leave anything in the water. So, so I think UV is a very safe way to, um, to, uh, to treat the water and to clean the water in some, uh, to some extent. Uh, same for ozone. If you use ozone in low concentrations, it's also pretty safe to use. Um, and it basically has the same the same effect. Uh, it also sterilizes to some extent. It oxidizes basically. Um, we also run carbon, so we have a lot of you know a lot of different ways to clean the water. Um, yeah, it's just just as a safety precaution. If anything, you know, uh, everything happens in anything happens in a tank on a bacterial level, it's it's taken care of. So, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that you, you guys don't dose any, um, you know, bacteria and, and um, you know, that's that's a thing that a lot of folks, you know, I know do in, in the hobby, dosing bacteria. I've, I've, I've dosed bacteria, I'm dosing bacteria um, more for nutrient control versus, uh, you know, for more, more, more for, uh, you know, anything else. But um, using the UV, using the ozone, are, are you, is, is that one of the drawbacks in your mind in terms of potentially what the microbiome could be impacted by the use of those sterilization methods? Mm, I think most beneficial bacteria that are, are useful for our reef tanks are, are on the surfaces uh, and actually not waterborne. Of course, coral uh, corals also eat those waterborne bacteria in some cases. So bacterial uh, flocculants can be consumed by by corals. So maybe to some extent, I'm taking out some form of coral food, uh, but the beneficial bacteria needed for uh, nitrification are actually on the surfaces and not really in the water column. So those won't be really affected by ozone or or UV. What about, um, you know, if, if um, you guys have any, you know, RTN, STN episodes, how do you handle that? Do you, have, have you ever done a, um, you know, here in, in the States we have uh, aquabiomics, so you could send out a sample of your water and get back a profile in terms of what the microbiome looks like and whether you have any coral pathogens or whatnot. Is there anything like that in Europe? And, and if so, have you utilized that service to see what you got? No, not yet. We do have a service here that can, you know, send the samples to the U.S. So it is possible to to uh, to test it uh, at some point. It would be very interesting uh, indeed. Uh, but if we have an STN encounter, we just basically take the coral out as soon as possible. Uh, obviously, try to troubleshoot and find a source. Um, but we never had a big bacterial bloom or big bacterial outbreak of a coral pathogen. So I think we either we were just very lucky or, or um, I, I don't know, but, but yeah, it would be interesting to see the, the, the bacterial makeup of, um, of our systems. Um, I do have to say we, uh, the only thing we do is um, starting every system with live rock. Mm. Uh, also the tanks upstairs are started with, uh, with live rock. And we do add 
one or two live rock, uh, new fresh live rocks every year, uh, roughly every year to the tanks as some sort of reseeding of all the bacteria and all the, the microbial life, um, which are in those, uh, in those, uh, in those rocks. Yeah. What about, um, you know, pods and, and what have you, do, do you periodically add, um, you know, copepods and, and, you know, anthiopods? I mean, is, is that something that you reseed in terms of your systems, pod population? No, not. No, not really. Actually, um, we do have some pods, but but not as much as we had in our home tanks in the past. I can remember if you look at night uh, on the glass, you would see a lot of those small copepods running around. But nowadays, we don't see that many. Um, maybe we, we have a lot of fish that are dedicated to eat basically everything that swims around or runs around or crawls around. So we. Um, we selected the fish in all of our tanks um, with a specific uh, task in mind. So I think a lot of those copepods are actually consumed, uh, but we never reseed them or add them. Uh, no, we don't do that. No. Um, I'm kind of jumping around here a little bit, but you also you also yeah. mentioned uh, flocculants. So um, I've tried this. I know others do coral snow treatments. Is that something that you do in your tanks? I definitely did it in the past when I still had home tanks. Um, I used uh, the snow, the 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 had the commercial uh, the commercial uh, bottles of uh, of coral snow. Uh, we also had a local product here that was pulverized, um, like uh, those uh, those stones, those uh, how do you call uh, zeolites, yeah. zeolite stone, which uh, which are also capable to take out some ammonia. Uh, but nowadays, I, I I I keep it just I keep it very simple, <laughs> so I don't I don't add a lot, I don't remove a lot. Um, yeah, so so we we we're not we're not doing any flocculants or coral snow uh, at the moment anymore. No, no. Um, Sturgis Reef is wondering any phyto, and I'm assuming that means um, live phyto. You you did mention you're using some sort of concentrate, right? Yeah, we use a concentrated phyto, uh, which comes in frozen cubes. Um, I don't know what there's. All, that's also not written on the package. What kind of phyto it is, um, but it's it's a bright bright, bright green cube. Um, so we do feed phyto every day, but it, it's it's uh, obviously not alive anymore. Um, but I think it's still it's still um, consumable by. The, the the micro life in the tank uh, alive or not but of course it will decay pretty fast um so we do add phyto every day but not in a life form no what about in terms of dealing with nuisance algae cyanobacteria you know um all all the stuff that can drive people crazy in terms of you know nuisance stuff in the uh, in in the tanks reef tank what, you, what what what's your um what would be your advice to folks that are um, dealing with those sorts of issues. Let's talk about cyano first. Um, first of all, don't freak out and don't start to do 10 things at the same time. Uh, <laughs> as long as it's not life-threatening for the tank, uh, just, uh, you know, it out. Make, a, make a cup of coffee and, and sit back and, and, and just first uh, think about it. And um, then just make a, make a list of, possible causes and and just address one at a time so don't do start doing 10 things at the same time um 
in the case of cyano, I would just first just try to take it out. Just take a hose, suck it out, suck it out, and see if it comes back. Well, in some cases, it doesn't come back actually. Well, if it does come back, then uh, first check your flow. Okay, change the flow, suck it out again. Wait a few more days. So. If you want to actually learn something or improve your reef keeping skills, you really have to address one thing at a time and see what kind of effect it has on whatever issue you have. Um, and that's the only way you can connect the dots at some point. Um, so in case of cyano, it can be flow related, maybe in some cases uh, dissolved nutrients, so nitrate or phosphate levels. Um, and in many cases, there's just one spot in a tank that Sayeno always pops yeah. up when, when I don't know, when over here, when, uh, when winter ends, when it becomes spring, a lot of people have Sayeno all of a sudden. So it's also not something you, you should stress about too much. Uh, same for other green algae. Just try to, you know, manually remove it, see if it comes back. If it does come back, Try to get a fish or a snail or anything else that will eat it. Uh, try to address the, the nutrients again. So a very methodology. Yeah, ju just the try to do uh, things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Try to do things step by step and um, yeah, address the issue um, that way. What about the use of chemicals? Are you an advocate of using chemicals in a dire situation, or do you not like to use uh, those kind of band aids? Well, the thing is, cyano is not really a, th a really threatening thing for your reef tank, um, unless it's so severe that it really smothers yeah. all the corals. But in, in that case, I think uh, <laughs> you can better start over maybe in some cases. <laughs> no, I, I'm not a big advocate of, um, of those, um, those substances because you don't really address the issue. Right. I think it's, it's mentioned many times before. It will come back at some point if you don't take away the, the root cause. So, uh, no, I'm not an advocate of those uh, those products. Same for the, you had a couple of products, I think a couple of years ago, that were combating green algae. But in the end, it also wasn't very beneficial for the rest uh, of your inhabitants. So, uh, no, I would never uh, use those, but try to find a natural predator or try to find the root cause um, of the issue and, um, you know, deal with it uh, for good and not just for, uh, for a couple of, uh, couple of weeks or months. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think unless you can find what is causing it, if, you're, if you nuke the tank with um, some sort of, you know, thing that's going to kill the cyano, then yeah. if you haven't figured out what's causing the cyano, eventually common sense says to me, that it's going to come back unless you're fine using that chemical treatment every few months, which we don't know what the long-term <laughs> impact's going to be and using antibiotics like that uh, on a regular basis. So that can kind of get uh, down a slippery slope. Yeah. At some point it will probably come back and the remedy doesn't work anymore. Uh, right. <laughs> and right. They, have, they have a you bigger built issue. built up resistance <laughs> to the tank. So how are yeah. you feeling there, Leo? Can you, can you go on for a little bit longer there? Are you ready to... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing uh, great. I'm doing great. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we got a lot more coral stuff to go through here. Let's, uh, yeah, let's yeah, talk yeah. about... Um, oh, 4705. This one looks familiar to me, like the bleeding tree. Uh, Let me check. 4705. That... Um, what? Yeah, for I, I don't have any 
you say bleeding tree, but I, I just, I don't even know. I think this one is not even online. I, I don't even, yes. didn't even sell any frags of these. Somebody so. watching just uh, dropped it. I, I can't recall the name of this uh, coral. It looks very familiar to me um, in terms of one of the, uh, the common name corals here in the U.S. But striking, man. All right, this is the, the thick branch that you show right yeah. now, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, Acropora abrotenoides. Yeah, yeah. yeah. um, I don't think there's actually, is there actually a fancy name for it? I don't think it's sold that much in agriculture, actually. Because when you frag this coral, typically, it will go dormant for at least half a year. <laughs> Isn't that frustrating? <laughs> those frags, those... Yeah, those frags will stop growing immediately, mm -hmm. and if you're lucky, after half a year, a new growth tip will pop up. But it's not a very ideal coral to to aquaculture. So we have a big colony in one of the tanks, which is super nice, especially when it's a little bit bigger. But it's not the most ideal uh, coral to to frag and sell. No, it is gorgeous though. What? Uh, yeah. What, so that's not a is that would you call that a challenging coral given the slow growth rate? in terms of frags or um is that just a slow grower that's i get you know I, I guess a slow grower is a challenging coral because i always say that if a coral is growing slow a lot can happen to that coral over time yeah so and and, yeah. and that you know basically makes it a challenging coral yeah for sure especially you know when, when you cannot take frags and put them in different system or different locations in your tank um, if you only have that one colony that's also growing really slow, it's for many reasons very vulnerable to to some sort of you yeah. know some sort of accident or uh, if it's not in the right location or a little bit shaded or a little bit out of proper flow and it dies, it, it it's it's just gone. But this coral is um, not very difficult when it's acclimated. Uh, properly, but it requires a lot of uh, a lot of light and a lot of heavy flow. But if um, if you give it a lot of flow and light, and if it's acclimated well, it will do pretty well. But it's still a very very slow grower. Yeah. All right, four five one zero. This this is uh, that's a four, gorgeous. Five, one, it's got those purple tips, and it looks like greenish yellow um, polyps. Dense. Yeah, that's um, that's again some sort of confetti or grape ape. Uh, <laughs> if you, uh, I think we have uh, three, four, five different types of confetti corals, all with these very um, distinguished uh, bran thin branching uh, uh, shape, a little bit flat coralites, and those very long wavy polyps. Uh, so this is a little bit different from the previous one that you saw, a little bit different color, color tips, also a little bit more uh, green polyps. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I have to say, it's um, all those, those moving Acropora with those long polyps, like the Millipora, but also these corals are very popular with, uh, with hobbyists. Um, first of all, they grow very quickly. They're very brightly colored. They're also not very hard to color up. And um, yeah, because they grow so fast, they're also relatively uh, uh, affordable to, uh, to acquire. Nice. That's nice. Yeah. So, uh, Leo, what would you say would be your favorite type of uh, acro? Millies, tenuous, uh, smooth skin? Well, sta staghorns, staghorns, of course. Yeah, okay. yeah, but, but, I wasn't um, paying attention. 
<laughs> no, no, no. But uh, besides stags, yeah, I think um, Acropora latistella is a favorite of mine. I'm no, I, I know Adam uh, also uh, gave that answer, but I think the latistella Acropora is very versatile in coloration, um, and I really like those thin branch, so thin, uh, spiny uh, branches. Um, but I also like obviously the Millipora a lot, um, also because they come in so many colors, varieties. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, it's just a if it becomes larger, it's just such a beautiful shape. Those the big tables with all those moving polyps, it's very hard to beat. I, um, I'm with you, man. Millies are probably my favorite. Before, yeah. because of what you're just talking about in terms of the colors and the um, and the movement of the polyps. Um, 4507. 4507. This looks like almost like a tabling uh, acro. It's got the uh, the pink coralites and the uh, the red polyps. It's got some green um, in the base. I have to wait. 4507. Yeah, it was like a rose vine table type. I think that's something that um, Adam at Battle Corals um, sells. I can't recall if that's exactly what Yeah, I, I have no idea what this one... I We haven't sold this one yet, uh, so I, I didn't give it a fancy name, but I also don't have a proper scientific ID for this yet. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, it's... it's um, I really like the combination of the, the light baby blue color with the mm -hmm. some sort of pink red coralites. It's yeah. or a polyps. It's um it's a very interesting combination. You don't see it a lot. Um it's in one of our it's actually in system three, so in one of the grow out tanks. Uh we didn't cut any frags of it yet, but I think um when we start to move everything upstairs, we will definitely snag a few frags and uh and offer them uh, online for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a sweet looking acro. All right. Yeah. Four. Uh, all right. Four nine three seven. It looks like what we're looking at here is some um, some millies, some uh, kind of like yellow um, milli in the center. Yeah, some sort of green milli green in the Miller, center, yeah. and yeah, and then on top there's a couple of millies, and on the bottom. Right are some tenuous, yes, some different tenuous, a little bit pinkish coralites with green polyps and some sort of blue, lila, pinkish with uh, gold green do, polyps. Do people go nuts for tenuous over in Europe, or is it? Yeah, okay, yeah, but they, they tend to really want those uh fancy names, so the home wrecker mm. and uh, the Walt Disney, yeah. uh, real, real or not. Um, <laughs> But if you offer any other, I, I offer quite a lot of, I think, beautiful colored um, uh, tenuous uh, with really multicolored, uh, you know, uh, orange polyps, green body, yeah. uh, and, and uh, blue tips, for instance. Um, they are popular, but they, they, I think they are as nice as a home wrecker, but they don't carry that name. Uh, so they're, they're immediately less wanted. So it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit of a name game, uh, after all, but, 
Um, tenuis are still quite popular, um, but people tend to really go for those collector names uh, in many what, cases. Uh, what's what's like, your favorite tenuis? Um, well, my favorite tenuis, tenuis is the Avatar Tenuis, which I uh, I gave it the name myself. Um, it's not in the batch of photos that you have, but if you Google it, you will find it uh, quite uh, quite quickly. Um, so it's basically um, red polyps, greenish base, and blue tips. Not a bad combo. Um, yeah, so it's it's a very nice, uh, very nice coral, and it looks nice under whites, so under full spectrum, as well as under blues. And I think for a lot of those very uh, fancy high antennas, they only look good under blues yeah. in, in, in most cases. Yeah. But this is actually one that looks good under both. Nice. So I think that's that's why I like it a little bit more than than some others. Yeah. Um, four eight three nine. That looks like a kick-ass RNG. That looks like a uh, splice uh, millipora there. Yeah, it's not a splice, but the, the inside of the, well, it's not a colony, right? It's like a big frag, but uh, deeper inside those branches, the color uh, turns very bright neon green, yeah. and the tips are uh, the tips are super orange. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, it's not really a sunset millie, but it's maybe a little bit comparable to a sunset millie. Uh, but yeah, this is a, a very good example why millipora are so awesome because when you see this in real life, uh, you see those polyps, those bright green polyps with the orange base. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really amazing. What, uh, yeah, this, and that's not a spliced, um, milli or a, um, no, 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 oh. no. So it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, one solid color. It's just that the the base of the color will turn a little bit greener and the tips will turn a little bit more uh, more so, orangey. Uh, mind if I ask, what do you guys get for a frag of that? What do I charge? Yeah. Um, you don't have to answer that question. Well, <laughs> this this coral actually acquired this was a this piece I acquired from another hobbyist. Um, so this definitely wasn't fragged immediately. But for set, let's say a three, four, let's say a two, three inch frag of this, I would charge around uh, seventy to eighty euros. Wow! Which I think, yeah, which I think in dollars uh, is it? Is it a one on one ratio or not really? That's right? a bargain, man. Well, that that's the price point in Europe. Wow! People are not willing. People are not willing to pay any any cent more than that. Really. So like yeah. high end, so high end frags. What I mean, what what's the most you charge for like a uh, like a, a higher end, more rare type of frag? Well, you know, it doesn't have those fancy names. If I stick Home Wrecker or uh, Walt Disney to it, I can easily charge five hundred euros. Gotcha. Uh, but I don't do that. Um, first of all, because I don't have the real stuff. Yeah. Um, and second of all, you know. I don't want to scam people, um, but for a very nice tenuis, like I showed you before, the Avatar tenuis, the price is around 129, 139 euros. Uh, that's as high as I can get. Um, otherwise, I won't sell anything. I think I'm going to make a trip to the <laughs> Netherlands and uh, come yeah, you should <laughs> <laughs> come back with a little yeah. care package there. Yeah. Um, 
I think that I think the market for aquacultured corals in the U.S. is much more mature than than over here because uh, over here you can still buy a mariculture colony for roughly the same price as you would buy a mar uh, aquacultured frag, and still a lot of hobbyists are are used to buying those mariculture uh, colonies. And when you can get a whole colony for the same price as a small frag, mm. um, not everyone's sees the added value of aquaculture yet so it's um it's a challenge and uh for us as uh, as uh, as businesses we have to make it clear why aquaculture is actually a better choice yeah, makes sense um yeah this is pretty wicked four seven five nine this this uh that's crazy leo what I'm looking at right there, it's like four seven five, four, seven, five nine. nine. That's not photoshopped either, because I could see the egg crate and I could see the coral line. You can see the egg crate, yeah. Not, there's uh, not nothing uh, going on there. You're not, you're no. not messing with these photos here, so no, 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 no. Yeah, this is a piece um, also acquired this size. I was um, I was uh, cherry picking from an Australian shipment. <laughs> Which are like three, four hundred corals, uh, you know, all, all lined out, laid out, and I saw this very small, very small, yeah, branch. It's not more than a small branch, lying around, and it was under white lights. We're picking the corals not under blues, but that <clears throat> a wholesaler only has white lights. So. It, I just really liked the shape. I thought, okay, this looks very different than could be like uh, Latistella, maybe Speciosa, kind of, but it didn't have these colors at all. So I put it in, after quarantine and put it in the tank, and it developed these, yeah, very multicolored uh, colors. It's uh, it, it's crazy. I do have to say, I moved it upstairs now, and it lost mo most of these colors <laughs> immediately. So, yeah, I I I, I think it uh, needs some time to get those colors back. But it's uh, it's one of one of our uh, best corals, actually. Yeah. Um, Bert, it's Bert amazing. said it's a dropper. I'm I'm uh, I guess uh, he's talking about jaw dropper, um, which could be the the name he's talking about, or just it's, it's your your jaw drops when you see that. Uh, kind of <laughs> <laughs> Maybe both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, four nine three four. That looks like a uh, tenuous. Uh, it's got four nine blue. Three, four. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Blue tips. Orange. It's polyps. a pretty pretty stand. Yeah, pretty standard tenuous. So green base, blue tips. Sometimes a hint of pink in the coral lights, but not a lot. But I just wanted to show how healthy uh, and how, how fast-growing tenuous can actually be if they're really happy. Mm. As you can see, the, this, this, this branch is full of new offspring, new branches, new axial tips coming out. Um, and if a tenuous is aquacultured and pest-free, uh, in many cases, it's a very quick and good grower and, and not as sensitive as, as a lot of people experience from time to time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Gorgeous. Um, yeah. Four five one five. Four five one. Four five five. Four five one five. Yeah. Yeah. This is obviously a blue light photo for sure. Um, but um, 
Yeah, very nice, very nice specimen. Um, bright yellow. This is really yellow, not green, but yellow. And uh, the tips, the 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 the, the color of the the. Yeah, the tissue on the tips is a little bit blue, also on the full spectrum. So it's also a little bit different than we normally see. Um, I think we called it the blue wolverine. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, have to it, come up it with looks something. like a wolverine. Um, <laughs> yeah. Based on yeah. what, um, or even a pink Floyd, I don't know. If, um, that yeah, it could be. Could... But the tips are a little bit more blue, yeah. so we thought, okay, yeah. we did, let's call it blue Wolverine, and yeah. uh, let's go for that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And the last uh, one I got here, I picked out was um, four eight four two. So it's just a bunch of frags that look pretty sweet. It looks like there's a bunch of um, I see a couple mm -hmm. of um, it's like millipora in there. Yeah. Um, there's some millipora. There's some tenuis. There's some uh, silagos in there. Some valida on top, um, yeah, and in the bottom there's a, some sort of Joe Mango type, yeah, yeah. This is a fil This is for sure a filter photo. So, so this is definitely not uh, under wide light only. I'm not. I, I don't have dead nice corals, but this is a <laughs> filter filter shot. But it's still, you know, this is typically the the stuff that we offer. So this is roughly the size and. The quality that we offer um, for, I think, um, a reasonable price. Uh, and in this case, some of the frags are actually grown onto the, yep. <laughs> onto, yeah. the onto the plate already. Um, between um, the photography and the shipping, sometimes there's like two, three, four weeks in between, and those corals will just keep growing. Yeah, that's that's a good yeah. uh, that's a good thing to. Uh... <laughs> Yeah. Um, have. What about uh, spatulata? Yeah. Do you get uh, a lot of those? Do you have uh, any of those in your collection? Um, we tried quite a lot in the past. They're tough, but, right? They're tough uh, corals to keep. Yeah. Yeah. Long term, they're very, very hard to keep. And also, if you make a frag like the Abutanoides uh, I talked about earlier, if you make a frag of that, um, it goes dormant very often. It takes a long time for it to grow again. And we always want to sell frags that are actively growing. So they need to have active growth tips before we really want to sell them. Um, so we don't sell a frag that's basically dormant or you know, doesn't have any axial tips. Um, so yeah, we, we stopped with uh, spatulata altogether. First of all, they're very hard to keep. And second of all, they're very hard to frag. So we don't do it anymore. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, so Leo, it is uh, it is approaching two thirty in the morning in your time. So <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna yeah. let you go, but I want to ask you one more question, kind of a yeah. um, a final question for you. If you had to pass along the top three tips for folks out there that are trying to up their Acropora SPS game, what would those three tips be? Uh, first of all, keep it simple. Go back to the basics first, and start building from there very slowly. Um, second of all, don't go for the fancy names, at least not immediately. Go for a nice stack or go for a nice tort, uh, gain some experience with those, and then go for the high antennas. Milka Stylo, that's great coral, yeah, yeah, that's the best. Um, third, um, just have the basics in check good light, good flow, uh, good parameters, and then 
most aircrows are not that hard to keep. And if I may add one more thing, uh, just keep your tank pest-free because you can acquire a big collection of acropora, you can have a great tank full with aircrows, full with colonies, and if you get a pest uh, in your tank, which I think any of us experienced in the past, then all, all of your hard work is gone within months. And in most cases, you basically have to start over. So um, I want to try to save you that experience and just go for pest-free corals as much as you can. And if you're not sure, try to quarantine everything you, you buy. That's good advice. So there were, there were four, but I think that's enough to keep you yeah, up Yeah, no, awesome <laughs> advice. Well, Leo, man, thank you so much for um, taking the time and staying up so super uh, late to, uh, to join us tonight. That's my pleasure. I really pleasure. Uh, appreciate it. Got a lot out of it. So I want to just thank you uh, on behalf of everybody that was tuning in. Appreciate you um, spending the time with us, man. Thanks, Keith, for having me. And um, I hope uh, you all enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, maybe talk to you later. Yeah, yeah. Definitely would love to have you come back on some point down the line. So, again, thanks to Leo for being on the live stream. I also want to thank both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine for being sponsors and supporting the show. also want to thank all you out there for tuning in and contributing via the uh, Super Chat conversation. Also, big thank you to Paul, who is the moderator, as well as the president of the Boston Reefer Society. Please join and support your local reefing clubs. They are so, so important to this hobby. also want to let you know that all episodes of Rap on the Reef Foam are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next Rap on the Reef Foam live stream will be on Tuesday, November 14th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is going to be a very special episode, a tribute show for Jake Adams. Scheduled guests include Chris Meckley, Matt Peterson, Vincent Chalius, Julian Sprung, Windsor Adams, uh, perhaps Reef Adams might make an appearance. Uh, Mark Vanderwall, Chris Carney, Rob Moogie, uh, Sanjay Yoshi, uh, Mike Paletta, Joe Capriata, and Luke Adams, Jake's brother. So if you want to check out the full upcoming schedule of guests, visit reefbum.com under the YouTube section. Until next time, be safe and be well. Later. <laughs>